Welcome to the Teaching Mythology Podcast. I'm your host, Leslie, from Education is Powerful. Come with me as we explore myths through a modern-day lens. Well, I'm back. If you're listening to this in real time, you know that I've been gone for a couple months. To be honest, it's been a rough fall for teachers. If you're listening to this after the fact, it is currently December of 2021. And my last podcast episode was on the fall equinox, September 21st, 2021. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I'm currently dealing with uh, book banning in my state, our own district, policing and banning books within our own district. And part of my job is to help support the other English teachers as a coach in our district. And so it's been a lot of emotional meetings, a lot of emotional days, a lot of fear. So I needed to really focus on work and my personal life and my own mental health before I could record some more episodes. So I've decided that I'm just going to record episodes whenever I want. And then I'll upload them. And so it might not be a weekly podcast episode. And it might come out more than once a week. That's okay. So today we're going to talk about the truth about the Greek underworld. And this is something that I think we have a real misconception of, of what the Greek underworld was like. And most of that comes from a Christian influence of a belief that this is hell and that Mount Olympus or where the gods live is heaven. But that's really not what the Greek underworld was like. Now, in my classes, we always do an assignment that is the map of the underworld and students read passages about the underworld or descriptions about the underworld and then create a map of the underworld. Now, I get them started. I give them kind of the basic outlay of what the underworld is. And what's really interesting is that every time you read a description of the underworld, it's going to be described just a little bit differently. And so what's kind of fun is I have students who try to find this map online and copy it because they have such a hard time picturing what the underworld would look like or where things are in the underworld. So in the assignment, they read this, then they put symbols on the map of where things are and then define what those are on a chart. So I thought today I would walk you through the underworld as if we had just died and we're going to the underworld ourselves as if we're the ancient Greeks. Okay, so the first thing you need to know is that for the ancient Greeks, they believed that the underworld was literally underneath the earth. And there are cults dedicated to Hades and groups of people who worship Hades. And they archaeologists have found places, caves that go deep into the earth where there are symbols for Hades and the underworld and that they would go there to worship him. So this is not a satanic sort of thing. Remember that We are all, I think as human beings, we're all fascinated or 
concerned with what happens after we die. So this kind of cult and dedication to Hades was just this. So according to the myths, there are only two people who know the way to the underworld, and that would be Hades and Hermes. And one of Hermes' jobs was to escort the dead down into the underworld. Well, it's a really funny thing in the myths because there are a whole lot of people who make it to the underworld. And in most of those myths, Hermes shows up to help them. To name a few, Hercules, Psyche, Orpheus. These are all people who go down into the underworld for various reasons. And those are by no no means the only people who go down. There are several great rivers in the underworld. So the first is Oceanus, which is actually the outer river. And really, it's a great stream or an ocean. But in the ancient Greek world, they never traveled outside of the Mediterranean area. It's one thing that makes Hercules so great is that he's the first person to go outside of the Mediterranean. So this is probably what we consider now the Mediterranean Sea. And it's on the outer border of the underworld. Now, in this outer border, you will also have where the fates live and where Medusa lives. So they're on the edges of this land, and they call it the land of twilight, right? There's really no sun. It's dark. It's misty, those sorts of things. And they kind of live between two worlds, the world of the living and the world of the dead. The other thing you should know about Oceanus is it's described as winding about the earth and sea with nine rings. But it's also an underground river, right? So they really didn't have this idea or really knowledge of what the world was like. Next, you have the river Styx, and it's known as the River of Hate. This is also a primordial figure, and the river Styx is said to be a daughter of Oceanus, right? And this is where mythology gets kind of weird, where sometimes things are described as gods or human-like, and sometimes they are elements or places, just like Tartarus. So the Styx branches out from Oceanus, and it flows out of a rock to form this 10th ring. Then there are five rivers within the underworld that create physical barriers in it. The first is Acheron, which is a river of lamentation, Coctus, which is the river of woe, Lethe, which is the river of forgetfulness, Phlegathon, which is the river of fire, and then we have Styx, right, which is the river of unbreakable oath and hate. So the River Styx is probably the most well-known river in the underworld. It's mentioned the most because you have to cross the River Styx to get into the underworld. And so what's interesting is that sometimes in the myths they refer to the underworld as the underworld and sometimes they refer to it as the land of Hades or they'll just call it Hades. So what happens when you come down into the underworld, you'll actually first pass what's known as the White Rock. And we don't know a whole lot about it, but it's, it's like a landmark. 
And then you pass underneath the gates of the sun. And this is where you move into darkness or twilight. And then you will hit the land of dreams. Not a lot of description about that one either until you hit the asphodel fields. Now, the asphodel fields is where you live as a spirit without any existence or you're a shadow or a phantom. It's not a place of punishment because you're actually not in the underworld yet. You haven't crossed the river Styx. But the people who go there are the people who did not receive a proper burial. So in the ancient Greek culture, the reason why they were often buried or they were supposed to be buried with coins over their eyes is that those coins would go with them into the underworld and they could pay Charon to ferry them across the river Styx. So if you weren't buried properly, you were stuck in the asphodel fields for a hundred years, wandering around as a shadow. Now, this wasn't a great place. This is where grief, anxiety, disease, hunger, death, agony, sleep, guilty joys, discord, all of these live here. And this is also where you see Medusa or the Gorgons and other various monsters like the Harpies or the Chimera, the Hydra. And they even say centaurs can live in this land. So it's, it's not a great place to be. Now, if you're lucky and you did get buried with coins, then you have the ability to cross the river Styx and Charon will take you there. He's often known as the ferryman to ferry you across this river. Now, Charon is described as filthy, eyes like jets of fire, an unkempt beard, a dirty cloak, and really he looks kind of like a grim reaper figure. So once you cross the river Styx, you will see the gates of Hades there for you. And in front of the gates of Hades is Cerberus. He is Hades the god. He's his pet, right, with three heads. It's a three-headed dog with a tail of a dragon. And on the back of his heads are snakes. I think we've kind of made him nicer and softer. Maybe it's Harry Potter that did it. I'm not sure. But he really is quite a monster. Now, if you are being ferried across the river and you are dead, he will let you pass by him with, with no problems. But in some myths, as humans go down into the underworld or heroes go down into the underworld, they have to appease Cerberus in some way. So Hercules actually gave him a piece of, of cake and honey with like some kind of sedative in it. Orpheus plays a song, right? He plays his lyre. He falls asleep. So, you know, he's kind of like that last guardian, hopefully to prevent any living souls from coming into the underworld. So once you pass the gates of Hades, you're going to enter the plane of judgment. So in this plane, you will be divided 
you will either go to the left to Tartarus or to the right to the Elysian fields or to the Isle of the Blessed. So at the plane of judgment, there are three people there to judge you. One is Achaeus, the king of Aegina. The second is Minos, the king of Crete. And the third is Rhadamanthus, who is the brother of Minos. Now, Achaeus is said to judge those who come from Europe. Rhadamanthus judged those from Asia. And Minos makes the final decision. So you kind of get a two-step judgment. And these are, you're being judged by former humans, right? Not Hades, which is really interesting that in, in the Greek belief, you are going to be judged by someone who also lived on earth. You are not going to be judged by the gods. Once you pass that judgment, you will either go left or right. If you go right, you will actually pass under the palace of Hades to the Elysian fields. So in Elysium, those people who make it there were honorable people. It's, it's a Greek idea of heaven. It's described as a wonderful place where everything's delightful. There are soft green meadows and groves and life-giving air and sunlight. And they say the sunlight glowed a soft purple. And everyone's happy and peaceful. There's music playing on pipes and lyres and banquets and feasts for whoever lives there. Sounds like a pretty great place to go, right? So Radamanthus actually rules kind of over this place. These are for good and great men, heroes, poets, priests, those who helped other people. It's a dwelling place for mortals who found favor with the gods. Now, beyond the Elysium Fields, you could cross the River Lethe, and the River Lethe is the river of forgetfulness, and you could be reborn and go back to Earth. Now, this is something that they believe that only the greatest heroes did. And if you went back to Earth and you were again found good and wonderful, and you earned your way back into the Elysian fields, you could then do it again. If you earned your way into the Elysian fields the next time, like three times, then that third time you earned your way back in, you would have lived three lives, basically, and you crossed the River Lethe, you would actually go across the river to the Isles of the Blessed. And this is a special place really just for heroes. And there is a lot that we know about it. But if the Elysian fields are described so beautifully, then the Isle of the Blessed is even more, even more beautiful, even more godlike existence. But we don't know much about it. So that's if you were great. If you were not great, then you would actually go to the left you would cross the river Phlegathon and enter Tartarus. Now, there are gates at the beginning of Tartarus. And these gates are described as being uh, like huge pillars of solid adamantum. 
and not even the gods could break this gate. At the top of each tower entering into Tartarus sits the Irene Tisiphone, which is really like guards. And Tisiphone was one of the Yuris or the Furies, right? And her two sisters, Electo and Megara, are also there. So you have this huge metal gauge with an indestructible metal. And at the top are the three Furies. Now, these three Furies are scary, super scary. And they're described different ways with like bat wings and, you know, horrible faces and claws like eagles. And they're just, they're, they're scary. They're scary broads. Each one of these sisters would kind of focus on punishing different crimes. So the people who went to Tartarus committed one of these crimes. So the first one, Tisiphone, she punished murderers, parricide, fratricide, and homicide. Uh, Electo is in charge of what they call moral crimes, like anger, especially moral crimes against other people. And then Megara is the one who punishes those who have jealousy, envy, marital infidelity. So (laughs) these three monsters are there. And then if you go to Tartarus, then you are punished for the rest of your days. So when we talk about future myths, or for example, when we talked about Sisyphus, he had to push the rock up the hill that was within Tartarus. And it's, it is not a place that you want to go. And they believe that you would be in one of these four places for eternity. So really, I, I think of the underworld as really having five main areas. You have the fields of Asphodel. You have the Plain of Judgment. You have the Elysian fields. And then across the River Lethe, you have the Isles of the Blessed. And then you have Tartarus on the other side of Phlegathon. So this is the underworld. And I know when we think of Hades, we think of him living in darkness. But his palace, remember, is on the way to the Elysian fields. You actually pass under his palace to get there. And I'm, I mean, it's never stated, but I believe his palace is located so near the Elysian fields that he has sunlight and trees and flowers and groves. And remember, Persephone lives with him in the underworld for six months out of the year. People always question how she could stay there. And in my last episode, we talked about the two myths surrounding Persephone and why we have seasons. I didn't mention this in that episode because I knew I was going to be doing this one next, that it's not a horrible, dark, evil place. It's light and beautiful. It's heaven. There's feasts and song and music and fresh air or life-giving air is how it's described, right? So when we talk about the underworld and when we talk about Hades, I think we too often put a westernized Christian view on the underworld. And we focus so much on Tartarus that we forget about these beautiful places that are also in the underworld. And 
I wonder sometimes if that's a metaphor for lives that we focus so much on the negative and not as much on the positive. We have this, you know, fatality focusing instinct within us. So there's the underworld, a short description of it. If you're interested in doing the map of the underworld with your students, I'm going to link it below for you. I will warn you that I have students who describe this as the hardest assignment they have ever had to do in high school, which is totally crazy to me. But I think it's because it's not told in order. There's a lot of details they have to sift through. And also, students don't know how to like read for detail anymore and read to picture. So usually I have to walk them through the first paragraph of the passage that we read and they have the map and I have the first two landmarks ready for them to go. It's like giving directions. And so then I start with the passage and this is how it says, this is how it reads. Between the world of the living and the dead, there are, it is said, great rivers and dread streams. First, greatest and outermost is Oceanus, which winds about the earth and sea with nine rings, but is also a subterranean river. And then I like walk them through and we find it on our map. They label it and we move through the underworld. And I will do one paragraph with them and then they're on their own. So I usually do spend a whole class period on this. I let them work in teams or by themselves and they create codes for their maps. It's really kind of amazing what they are able to do, but it's hard. So it's a good exercise. It's a different way of reading text and learning about the underworld rather than just, you know, me standing up and telling them stories or reading myths. So check it out. I think it's really cool. Thanks for joining me today on Teaching Mythology. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I'll see you next time.